Welcome to the Audit 15 Fund podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table every 15 days. Today, we're going to be talking with a customer experience expert. His name is Ian Stokel. Ian has over 30 years of experience working directly with customers, stakeholders, designers, and developers to deliver great digital products and services. He's one of 27 certified customer experience professionals in Australia and the only one to have won the prestigious CXPA Impact Awards in 2019. In addition to the CCXP certification, Ian has 47 other certifications, including the PMI Project Management Professional, Agile PM Certified Lean Six Sigma, among others. He has been a judge on several internal or international customer experience, digital experience, and business awards. Over the past few decades, Ian's career has been defined by leading organizational design, innovation, and delivery capabilities. He currently works for ComputerShare. Welcome, Ian, to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, John. I was listening to you talk and thinking maybe I should listen to this podcast. Who is this guy? (laughs) All right. So uh, we'll we'll get started on the questions here. I think uh, customer experience is an area that internal auditors may not be too familiar with, but I know that it's an area that several companies have a department that's specifically dedicated to. So for those who are not familiar with what customer experience or CX or or what that process entails, could you provide like a really high level overview of how it's supposed to work? Sure. Um, Look, I think one of the things to frame around customer experience is that it's not new. It's probably the oldest profession because it goes all the way back to product experience that back to when human beings exchanged things for other things they wanted. So back in the olden days, if you want to refer to them back in, you know, uh, before there was international travel or even travel outside of your village, you'd go to the local market and you'd know the guy who was selling meat and the guy that was selling fruit and the guy that was selling clothes. And you had an experience with him. They knew you because you were from around those parts and the exchange of value was not just the goods you were exchanging, but it was also the exchange of familiarity. And so those mom and pop stores that were around in your local village was where customer experience occurred every single day. And people came back and for repeat business, not only because the goods were wanted and needed and were good, but because the relationships were strong. Now that we live in a world that's geographically spread, and we're living in what some people call a VUCA world, which is volatile, um, uncertain, ambiguous, and um, and, uh, and and volatile, well, volatile, and um, uncertain, um, com- complex, and ambiguous. Um, and this comes about from the fact that uh, the people who make the goods are separated from the people who buy the goods, not just geographically, but sometimes through layers of policy silos within an organisation. And also um, the the third parties that might be intervening between the people who make things and produce things and the people who benefit from them. And in this world of complexity, we've had to develop very different tools to manage the efficiency, accuracy, and 
um, and continuity of business. So CX has evolved out of a combination of project management, process management, behavioral science, um, perhaps change management, uh, certainly design and design thinking, so that when dealing in this really complicated international environment, large organizations can ensure that the experiences they deliver to their customers are not accidental, but orchestrated. And what impact that has on auditors and people who do auditing is that often auditors are overlooked as a stakeholder in the design of these experiences, particularly in the retail sector, where you've got organizations that are rushing very quickly to market to be competitive or be first to market. Yes, yes. I uh, <laughs> w- w- One thing that really uh, gets my attention in the customer experience process is, you know, you have so many ways of getting like customer data, like, you know, with the social networks that we have, you have people who maybe they, if the company has a call center, um, people are calling and they're giving their feedback to the company. So there's like so many ways that companies can get data on how well they are serving their, their customers. So just based from your experience, where, like, what part of that customer experience process do you think that companies generally struggled the most with and why? That is such a fabulous question. So just to frame this a little bit, John, um, <clears throat> I guess in customer experience, we call this the voice of customer program. And it's the first most important step to build when you are uh, setting up a customer experience uh, approach to doing business. Um, And a voice of customer program comes down to all your listening posts. So going back to my old traditional way of doing business, most people had to go to a store or to a stall at a fair to meet the producer and exchange value and goods and services, whatever that was. And that's a single channel exchange. Now we've got multiple channels. We've got uh, in-store experiences, online experiences. And in the digital realm, we've got multiple touch points from chatbots to social media, as you mentioned, websites, web forms, and all sorts of things. <clears throat> and a lot of the time, customers are dipping in between their online experience experience and their offline experience. So when trying to manage this complexity of channel management and the way uh, um, customers interact with us, there are always opportunities for what we call in the CX world moments of truth. Mm-hmm. And moments of truth are those moments where, uh, I mean, they can. there's a lot of complexity to moments of truth, but very simply put, a moment of truth is where values exchange. And it's not always financial value. And it's not always the end result either. So for example, if I'm anonymously going to a website and exploring a website, that can be tracked. You can track somebody's location through their IP address. You won't know their identity, but you can also know that they are a frequent visitor or a first-time visitor to your website just from the digital layer data that's there. And that in itself becomes a listening post in your uh, array of, of your voice of customer program setup. Uh, the moment that person, say, registers interest or fills out a form, exchanges their name and their phone number and what they're interested in, suddenly you then have um, a transition, a moment of truth where they've they've gone, they've transitioned from being an anonymous visitor to your ecosystem to becoming a known person who's expressing an interest. So no financial value has changed. 
but going from anonymous to known is an incredible exchange of value. And what organizations do with that is they want to do what's called progressive profiling. And this is where governance comes in. This is where auditing comes in. This is where are we doing the right thing by not only the GDPR uh, and the rules of privacy and are we secure and do we have the right tools in place to protect people's identities when they make that transition and start telling us more about themselves. Because what follows often when there's a a financial transaction involved, we have access not only to who they are and what they're interested in, but to their bank details as well, which exposes the company to a whole range of legal and ethical and moral obligations. <clears throat> and so in this, uh, coming back to the idea of complexity, you've got feedback coming to you from your customers across a range of different touch points and interactions. Some of those interactions are unsolicited, which means when customers have something to tell you, uh, they, they will do it off their own bat without being asked. And other times you'll solicit information through surveys or focus groups or asking questions in the moment um, that um, you, you are going to solicit the information and the particular biases associated with solicited and unsolicited information. So typically unsolicited information tends to be negative. People tend to use that to complain. Typically people who are happy with what they've got, you're meeting the expectations and they generally don't tell you unless prompted. So right, they become right. solicited. So true. Whereas unsolicited information tends to be because I'm upset and I, I need to tell you that you're upsetting me. On the other side of things, you've got um, solicited information where through the way people set up solicited information is using a bit of what we call choice architecture or through behavioral science. You, you know, it's like you, when you and I met, we exchange pleasantries and we get to like each other. So human nature is that when you know somebody and they've treated you well, you want to please them. So there's a positive bias to solicited information. And the danger is that without that understanding of biases in the, your approach to looking at qualitative data, that you are going to read things and gain insights into things that are simply not true. Yeah, you touched on so many, so many good points there. The progressive profiling, something that's really interesting. I think, uh, you know, a lot of companies, they look at like the customer lifetime value, right? Like how, uh, how well is that company or that uh, client, that customer going to interact with my company in the long run? So if you have a better um, a better view of their pro or a better understanding of their profile, you know, the better the relationship can be. And also another good point that you point that you made was regarding um, personal information, right? Because <laughs> there's so much customer information that companies retain. And uh, here in the US, you know, we have the personable identifiable information, PIIs, which is a huge, huge thing, you know, and more and more states here are regulating on that topic. So there's definitely, you know, the balance of like how much information you're getting that's like benefiting the company, but also there's the risk of like, maybe not protecting that information as well. 
And so, it's, it's, you're so right. It's even more complex than that because there's a thing in, in, in data called recency that your data might age and no longer be relevant. People move houses, their preferences change, their names even change. And, and your data might be completely out of date and not have what we call recency or freshness. Right. So you could be basing your communications and your outreach programs, your marketing on data that's no longer relevant. Yes, that's a very good point, which would be, you know, ineffective marketing. <laughs> so, and there's a lot of that around, and you and I are victims of that every day. Yes, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, how often do you receive something in your inbox you didn't ask for and don't want? Yes, yes. So <laughs> that's so common. <laughs> you know, I'm just glad that you didn't think my, you know, LinkedIn message was a spam. <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, uh, but, very know, funny. Yeah, very, very common. So uh, it is for you know <clears throat> one of the things in uh, that customer experience process. I think like in the retail on you know, retail industry, that's very common because you know there's the interaction with the customer that's so frequent, right? Like, what other industries do you think would benefit from having a better customer experience process oh you you ask such great questions john because that opens up such a can of worms so let me try and make this as uncomplicated as possible because it is a complicated answer <clears throat> firstly there's a wonderful uh framework called the completing competing values framework which looks at the tension between an organization being inwardly focused or outwardly focused or having an appetite for risk or a, a you know, a fear of, of, of risk. And it really comes down to the type of industry you're in. So if you look at the tension between uh, appetite for risk and control versus inward and outward focus, when you've got an organization that's really outwardly focused and has a high appetite for risk, you've got what is called an adhocracy. Companies like Apple, Amazon, uh, and they and they're driven. They're very innovative, and they're driven by the desire to get to market first. They are the companies that say move fast and break things. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, that. Apparently, uh, it was attributed to um, Facebook, but is not the original source of the comment. Um, <clears throat> by the same token, also an outwardly focused organization that has strong controls that wants to ensure that there is a balance between capital expenditure and return on capital, like the retail sector, is very outwardly focused and competitive, but has tight controls with money spent and project management protocols, and that their driving motivation is to do it to win. On the other side of the spectrum, inwardly focused organizations um, that, for example, are highly innovative but very inwardly focused, like research laboratories and so on, um, they are more like clans. They do it together. They bring in multidisciplines to solve complex problems. Whereas organizations that have very strong controls and inwardly focused, like governments and uh, and and uh, and uh, universities even, they're driven more by the desire to get it right and make sure it's right to be defensible in their uh, delivery of value. So what impact this has to customers is really interesting because when you've got a value that's driving your business model, it's going to impact the way you treat customers. 
And so aligning the needs of your customers with the needs of the business becomes that balance that all CX practitioners and designers really do. Because what CX is really about is change. Mm-hmm. And the four levels of change you're trying to do is identify the pain you're causing and stop it. And at this point, I will say not all pain is bad. Some pain is actually good, and we can unpack that later. Okay. But essentially, you want, to, you want to stop the unnecessary pain you're causing customers. And some organizations don't need to stop the pain they're causing customers because um, the customers are not really customers. They're hostages. <laughs> we can talk about that too. Um, when you finally address the pain, you also want to start being very deliberate in your operational processes so that you prevent pain from happening because pain leads to attrition and attrition in churn leads to a lack of customer lifetime value, which is something you mentioned earlier, which means you, and, and evidence has found that it costs 10 times more to find a new customer than retain an existing customer. So the cost to your business of having a churn model as opposed to a customer lifetime uh, value model is significant in terms of operating costs which pushes up your prices and makes you less competitive. Right, Again, right. it all comes down to your behaviours and auditors play a very big role in ensuring that the policies, not just the legal and leg- regulatory policies are maintained, but the internal policies are maintained as well. <clears throat> yeah. So- the biggest challenge for CX practitioners is identifying the policies mm-hmm. that are getting in the way of serving customers. Yeah, so you, you you talked about internal auditors there. So in, you know, let's say uh, an internal audit department is preparing to uh, do an audit of their customer experience department. What would be some of the things that you would recommend that internal audit department to look at? What, what where do you see internal audit adding the most value to that process? Well, the most value is early in the stages of the change management process. So, you know, if somebody has a great idea and says, let's take us business online or let's build a mobile app or let's introduce a new workflow, all of this requires change that impacts not only customers but internal customer-facing staff that has uh, knock-on effects into the PNL and the outcome metrics. So the worst thing you can do is involve auditors and policymakers after you've done the change. It's very important to have them in the design process before you start building things because the cost of change increases as you deeper into the delivery phase of any idea. But if in the, the whole, a lot of people misunderstand that design is a risk management strategy. It's not a nice to have, it's an essential. And so few people have time for design. They sort of say, we've got this idea and we really need to rush to market because if we don't, we're going to be, uh, uh, our competitors are going to get advantage of us or we'll miss the opportunity or we'll get disrupted. They've got all these reasons why they shouldn't do the rigor that design asks them to do. Design is actually a form of auditing your great idea to see if it's not an ugly baby. (laughs) And and there are a lot of heuristics in design when it comes to visual layer design and interaction design, but there are other constraints in an organization that have got nothing to do with the interactions and the visual layer design or even the technical architecture, but the policies 
and and policies exist on multiple levels whether it's the organization is audited by an external company or there are regulations or laws even that dictate what you can and cannot do as well as your internal policies about how best to go about doing things. And if you don't consult the experts and subject matter experts on those dimensions before you design, Mm -hmm. then you have the risk of building something that is not fit for purpose. And the cost of rework is much higher than just consulting these people early in the design process. Yeah, I think what you said there, it's going to be muted to many internal auditors' ears, uh, you know, be involved early in the process versus later. Well, often they're not even aware, John. They're not even aware that something's happening until it's released to the market and there's somebody knocking on the door saying we've got all these complaints. And then the cost of that, not just from a reputational point of view, but from a rework point of view, can really hurt companies and even destroy them. Yes, that's a pain point that many internal auditor, internal audit departments have just not being involved, you know, at the uh, at the right time. So that's a very, very good point, Ian. Um, it comes down to immaturity at a design ops level or a project management level of not identifying necessary stakeholders early enough. Right. I would 100% agree there. Uh, so, you know, maybe talking about the good, you know, like what what are some good companies out there or, or companies that have been doing well with their customer experience? Anything that it can be from any industry, anything that you can point out as like, yeah, this is a best practice from a customer service or customer experience perspective that, you know, other companies can, can copy. You know, this is such a... You ask such fabulous questions, John, and this is another fabulous question because I don't even have to have an opinion about this. There's so many books written on companies that do CX well from uh, Amazon to uh, Zappos to a whole range of smaller Trader Joe's in America alone, uh, not to mention around the world. And as a judge on CX uh, Digital and Business Awards, I get to meet some of the organizations and people in those organizations that have amazing CX programs and stories to tell. And despite the technology and the challenges that uh, organizations face internally and externally, both from a competitive point of view and the silo battles that happen internally, these people still manage to bring organizations together and unite to get some amazing stuff done. I can name them, and they come from all different uh, verticals, from um, space exploration all the way through down to uh, distributing food from your local green grocers. And I've seen, and, and they're all driven by the same thing, which is improving people's lives. But every, you know what they say, the road, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And if you do not orchestrate the changes that you want to make to improve your customers' lives properly, you can land up doing what we all call, what, what is known in the industry as unintentional consequences, where you, know, you, you set out to solve a problem and just create a whole bunch of new ones you didn't anticipate. And so that's where the rigor of design helps prevent that from occurring and involving the right stakeholders 
like your policy makers, like your policy auditors, whether you involve them from an internal perspective or an external independent perspective that are not influenced by internal politics and ask covering uh, behaviors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I love what you said about, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about uh, making uh, people's lives better right <laughs> so if you're if you're improving the the you know the the customer's experience improving their life overall they're gonna keep coming back and so you have that long-term relationship so uh, absolutely love that uh well i i really appreciate your time here on the podcast ian uh last but not least i do want to give you the opportunity to let people know how they can connect with you if they want to hear more about cx and how that process works Sure. Uh, obviously, LinkedIn is uh, the preferred professional social media channel to connect with people. So if you look me up on LinkedIn and connect with me there, you're most welcome to. Uh, there's a lot going on in 2022 with a lot of uh, podcasts and webinars and also award ceremonies in these environments. So there's a lot of excitement there. And um, I suppose that's the best way to catch me because I generally don't use other social media channels. They can be quite distracting. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you so much, Ian. I appreciate it. John, thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure.